I just wanted to almost just sit there for a little while and reflect on the glory of that reality. May it be soon. Hey, I'd love for you to join me in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7. So if you've got a Bible, I would love for you to be finding that passage of Scripture uh, this morning in um, Bible study at the uh, first hour uh, in our, in our classes, well, my lesson was on the early church there in Acts chapter 2, and Acts 2.47, I think it was a summary statement, went like this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the, to the prayers. And so that's my invitation this morning to you is, is to devote this time to the careful consideration of uh, Scripture. I love the Lord's Prayer. It begins, as you might well know, our Father who art in heaven hallowed be your name. That teaches us the biggest need you have in your life is to hallow the name of God, which means the biggest attack you face is to kind of be indifferent to the things of God. So I'm just calling you in Jesus' name to devote yourself with reverent expectation that when we open up uh, the scripture together, that God really meets us here. Uh, I'm going to pray in light of Acts chapter 2 where it says, as as Peter preached the word, that they were cut to the heart. I believe we're going to find some helpful things here. And so I'm going to ask you in a a sort of spirit of reverence and hallowing of the Lord uh, that you'd stand for the reading of scripture from 2 Samuel chapter 7. I'm going to read the first Four verses, we'll study more than that, but we'll begin there. This is the word of the Lord. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, hallowed be your name. We are already helped by the word of the Lord. Not everything we desire is what you desire. Not everything that wells up in our heart that sounds like a good idea is a good idea. Would you give us grace To be all the more confident in you and your word. And all the more less and less confident in ourselves. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Well of course you may be seated. Uh, About a year and a half ago. Our family was touring the United States Naval Academy. Up in Annapolis, Maryland. Uh, One of the most memorable parts of the tour for me was when our guide pointed out a a model ship 
that has been kept for well over a century that was once used at the Naval Academy for instruction. I actually got a picture on the screen there. You see there, this picture was taken in 1902. And the whole point of the model ship is for the midshipman to learn all about the workings of the ship before they get out on the sea, right? I mean, makes a lot of sense. You want to know what you're doing before you're out on the, the water. So before going out on the water on a real ship, it was the responsibility of the students to learn the inner workings completely. In particular, they needed to learn the rigging system. This is where we get the phrase, learn the ropes. In 1 Samuel 7, we see that David still has some things to learn. Can you receive this? You still have some things to learn. We're still maturing as followers of Jesus. Now, in 2 Samuel 7, David is experienced. He's got a heart for God, but he's still learning the ropes. And so, just as a measure of encouragement, may we all have the humility to believe that we still have things to learn. In 2 Samuel 7, David wants to pull on some ropes, and he thinks they're going to lead to certain places, but God intervenes with grace, yes, but also clarity. So I've entitled this morning's message, Course Corrections. I want to pull four clear course corrections from the narrative of 2 Samuel 7, put them before you, and then rely on the Holy Spirit to bring these truths to bear in our lives. So one of the big points we've been making from the study of David is you are becoming a certain type of person. Your life is headed in a certain direction, and as you head in that direction, you're becoming a certain kind of of person. Now, the Naval Academy students really needed to know what they were doing because there was going to come real time in their lives where things would really be on the line. And I say that because what we're going to talk about today has everything to do with your life. Anybody got some stuff going on in their life right now? I mean, anybody dealing with some stuff? Like, I'm talking about real life stuff. Decisions that you need to make. Help you really need to receive from the Lord. Spiritual battles. I mean, sinful strongholds even that you might have thought by now, I thought this would be in the rearview mirror, and here still it is. So, so let's walk through 2 Samuel 7 together. And uh, yeah, by God's grace, help us to know that these things really matter in our real life. I think we all have a tendency for a disconnect. Like the spiritual things we do at church and then we walk out and it doesn't have anything to do with life. But it, but it does. God help us to, to see it. So first one is going to be this, course correction number one. Let's remember... True rest always comes from God. 2 Samuel 7 verse 1. When the king lived in his house, the Lord had given him rest. Hey, all you remember, we're in the life of David. How has David's life been been going? I mean, it has been intense 
stressful. He's lived in caves. He's been on the, on the run. He's had Saul throw spears at him. He's had to deal with a foolish man like Nabal. I mean, he's, he's been through the ringer. And we get to 2 Samuel 7 verse 1. And it says, the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. Now, this is first day of the week. This is the day of rest. This is Sunday. Question, are you resting? Would, would one of the terms that you would use to describe your soul be at rest? Well, I've loved our uh, devotion that we're reading uh, each week from Paul Tripp, uh, his book, Sunday Matters. And uh, the, the summary for this week's reading, corporate worship is designed to turn your fear into trust, your complaints into praise, and your independence into willing submission. So in light of that, I just say, is, is your life defined more by fear, complaint, and seeking to be independent from the Lord, or trust and gratitude and dependence. That's what it means to rest in Him. True rest comes from God. Many of us try to find rest in other places. I think my very favorite promise of Jesus is in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, where He says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Hey friends, would, would you def describe your life right now as a life that's at rest? Dane Orland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, which is a meditation on the Matthew 11 promise says that this is the only time in all the Gospels, Matthew 11, 28 and 29, where Jesus describes his heart. In other words, this is the only time where Jesus says, this is what my heart is like. And he goes on to write, you don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. I will give you rest. He writes, his rest is gift, not transaction. This is helpful for us because you are conditioned, just like me, by the culture we live in, to believe everything is transactional. Everything is. God will do for me if I've done enough for him. And friends, that's actually what the huge burden is. I love what he says. Your burden is what qualifies you to, to come. So he goes on to write, whether you're actively working hard to crowbar your life into smoothness, those who labor, or passively finding yourself weighed down by something outside your control, heavy laden, Jesus Christ's desire is that you find rest, that you come in out of the storm, and that desire of his outstrips even your own. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. So I believe, don't you? I believe that promise is as alive and real and true January 2024 as it was when Jesus first spoke it, as recorded in Matthew 11. Rest is result. Rest is the result of coming to Jesus. 
You're never going to have one without the other. As a matter of fact, this is actually how you can demonstrate in your life if you've come to the real Jesus. Did you know there are fake Jesuses? They're false Christs. So if you've come to a Jesus that isn't the real Jesus, you don't have any rest. You're still trying. You're still trying. You're still trying. The heart at rest is a testimony of a heart that's come to Jesus. You cannot go to money, friends, and find rest. You cannot go to entertainment, stream one more show, and find rest. You cannot numb your soul with the spirit of the age and find rest. You cannot go to the distractions of your phone, constantly distracting you from your own life and find rest. You're not going to be able to go to another person and find rest. Cannot earn another degree and find rest. Get another promotion and find rest. Reach another goal and find rest. Let's take a moment to remember all that David has been through. The stress, the pressure of leading others, the death of his best friend Jonathan, the missteps in 2 Samuel 6 of trying to move the ark, the weight of responsibility. So this morning I have a calm, clear word for you. Come to the Lord Jesus to find rest. You burdened? Heavy laden. You know, one of the... um, Regrets I have uh, of my childhood is I never really learned to swim very well. I'm not a rock that would immediately sink in the water, but I don't swim very well. My, my dad tried to, take, uh, to get me to know how to swim, took me to swim lessons when I was six, five or five years old. Two older brothers, I remember this so clearly, the instructor bringing the, it was a whole class of us, but I was following my two older brothers, and she said, I want you to dump, uh, not dump, but jump into the deep end of the pool. And I remember being so scared, but then watching my two older brothers jump in. Any younger siblings in the room? And when the, when the older siblings go, you got to go too. So I remember jumping in. And looking up as I went lower and lower in the pool. And I remember very well, didn't see the the instructor coming, came from behind, arms underneath, lifting me back up and crawling to the edge of the pool. And y'all, probably one of those experiences from that day on, I've just been a little skittish about swimming. Friends, telling sinners to stop sinning is like telling a drowning person to start swimming. If they were able to, they wouldn't be in the predicament to begin with. Get a, rest is a gift from God. There is rest for the weary sinner. But notice this. This is kind of a character trait we'll notice of David. As he is at rest... He gets restless. He's got rest from all his surrounding enemies. Verse 2, the king said to Nathan the prophet. Those are two really important words, by the way. King, prophet. See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. So here's course correction number two. Let's not assume what we want is always what God wants. Does David want a bad thing? It's not really a bad thing, is it? In fact, in, in some ways, it's a very admirable thing. He, he's saying, I'm sitting here dwelling in a house that's nicer than where we've placed the, the ark. And so David begins to formulate a, a plan. We'll say that it does seem that the, 
the account of First and Second Samuel is very specific. That when David seeks the Lord, it says it verbatim. We don't really get that here. It's just that he's at home and he says, I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in. And Nathan said to the king, go do all that's in your heart. Follow your heart, David. For the Lord is with you. Not bad plans, but we might call them prayerless plans. Actually feels a lot like what David just did in 2 Samuel chapter 6. When he says, hey, I think we need to move the ark back into Jerusalem. And then he ignored the word of the Lord. So we have a king. We have a prophet. And moving the ark into the temple or what David has in mind to be the temple, implies the work of a priest. So we're tracking together. Prophet, priest, and king. And any time those three offices are involved together, that they're collaborating, it matters so much to God what they choose to do. Because God established those three offices of prophet, priest, and king to ultimately point us to Jesus. So this passage confronts us with one of the most resisted truths in 2024. Because one of the emphasized truths of 2024 is if it's in your heart, it must be right. If you desire it in your heart... That's the very justification for doing it. The desires of our heart have actually been elevated to the status of deity in 2024. And now look what happens. Nathan, the prophet, said to the king, go do all that is in your heart. For the Lord is with you. Now some of us, even bringing this up is going to, Call some of you to start sweating because some of us have dealt with identity theft. Some of you, in a really small way, like friend requests on Facebook started going out in your name that you didn't make. By the way, some of y'all need to change your Facebook password. Just, just, let, just let you know. If you haven't done that in a while, you might want to update for 2024 a new, new password. Some, some have dealt with credit card getting stolen, debit card, and, and when. I've read that often what a thief will do is if they get your card, they'll, they'll make a small transaction to see if it goes through. Like four or five dollars, see how that goes. And if that goes through and there's no consequences, we go for larger and larger fraudulent transactions. Nathan the prophet says to David, the Lord is with you. Look at verse four. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. What's going on here? Nathan has assured David that the Lord is with him when the Lord says, no, I am not. In fact, Nathan and God used the same word. 
verse 3, Nathan said to the, wing, uh, to the king, go. Verse 4, the Lord came to Nathan, go. God acts quickly, doesn't he? God's revealing what David is deeply concerned about in this moment is not something God's deeply concerned about. We don't need to follow our hearts, friends. We need to follow God's word and his truth to shape our hearts. So we can think about it this way. God has placed it on my heart is no substitute for the word of the Lord says. Can I get an amen on this? God has placed it on my heart is no substitute for the word of the Lord says. God is leading me to. Should always be followed up with the question, who else thinks so? This is why the dynamic, and I think God's so urgent about it, is David has a plan, and the Bible's pretty consistent. If, it's, if the Lord's in it, it's never just on one person's mind or heart. Always is working through multiple counselors. But Nathan now assures David that the Lord is with him. And that's why I think the course correction comes so quickly to Nathan. And this leads us to our third point. Let's acknowledge all servants of God have limitations. All servants of God have limitations. This is the first time that we have met Nathan in Scripture. First time he comes up in the narrative. We are four, five chapters away from Nathan really needing to confront David, not over good plans he's done, but grievous sin he's committed. And if Nathan can't do this confrontation right, he'll be in no position to do what he has to do in 2 Samuel 12, I believe it is, after David's sin with Bathsheba. But what do we mean when we say all servants of God have limitations? I heard Alistair Begg say one time, We have to remember, at best, people are people at best. All servants of God have limitations. Hey, we're in 2 Samuel 7. Can we remember some things? Remember where we began in 1 Samuel? Eli is the priest. He sees Hannah as Hannah's pouring out her soul to God. And Eli thinks she's drunk. Got it wrong. Samuel goes to Jesse's house to anoint one of the sons, one of Jesse's sons, the next king of Israel. And when the oldest, the tallest, the most impressive one walks in the room, Samuel assumes he's there to anoint him. He was wrong. David, moving the ark in 2 Samuel 6, says, hey, let's move the ark to Jerusalem. This is the way that we do it. Proved he's very limited in his understanding. So what are we trying to get at? Friends, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. It means... When it comes to church life, for example, when it comes to your life, the strongest personality in the room ought not have the say of a a, a monopoly on thus says the Lord. The Lord has monopoly on thus says the Lord. Saying this so we all have humility to know all servants of God have limitations. We have a king here who is quick to conclude what God wants, a prophet who is quick to affirm what the king says, and all this is motivated by well-meaning people. Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just approach life and saying, it's just my bad impulses that can get me in trouble. But we are so sinful, the sin nature goes so deep that even our good ideas 
need to be presented prayerfully and humbly before the Lord. It's a warning for our church. We must, we must have our hearts conformed to His Word as we seek to serve Him. One more course correction is this. Let's remember doing great things for God is always initiated by God. I think to get the whole picture, we need to read the rest of the passage. So there, I think we've left off in verse 7. Let's read verse 7 to 17. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? You see what God's saying? David, you're at rest and you're kind of caught up thinking about trying to answer a question I've never asked. One of the things I think this tells us is if we busy ourselves about what God's actually told us to do, we won't waste our time concocting plans and schemes of our own making. He's given us enough as his church. Amen? So verse 8, Now therefore, thus you shall say to the servant David. How do you think Nathan's feeling at the moment, by the way? God's saying, you're going to have to go back in there and get this straight. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep. You should be prince over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you went. And have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name. Like the, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel. And I will plant them. So that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. So God says, I'm a God who wants to give rest to everyone as formerly. From the time that I appointed judge over my people Israel. And I will give you rest. From all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, and you shall come from who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever by me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Been an interesting scene, right? When David's probably already got his blueprints out, and Nathan comes in and clears his throat and says, uh, David, we need to talk. Everyone listen to me real, real quick. You've got to have somebody in your life who has permission, the basis of trust, to tell you sometimes you're headed in the wrong direction. Our default is, if we think it, it must be so. So here's some logic and common sense. Are you perfect? No. You perfectly conformed to Christ? No. That means some changes still need to come in your life. So receive with gratitude and grace when God lovingly confronts you. He's not out to get you. He's always out to help you. From Him, through Him, and for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Now see, uh, David is sitting there. Do you notice this 
David is sitting there and he's feeling, a, it seems a bit guilty. He's saying, I dwell in a house of cedar. He's saying, my house is nicer than God's house. Did you notice that he doesn't plan a downgrade for himself? He plans an upgrade for God, right? Instead of David saying, well, maybe, my, maybe, maybe I should have been. Why is God opposed to David's plan? We learn this as we continue, that God does not have David build the temple. Why not? Does anybody know? When God spells it out, why not? He says, because David, you've been a man of violence. You've been a man of war. What is the temple going to be, friends? They are going to put the ark in the temple. And that temple is going to be a place, house of prayer. Remember, Jesus never got as righteously angry as when he walked in the temple And everything the temple was designed to do had been made a farce. God says to David, you don't build the temple because you're a man who has been a man of war, a man of violence. So the temple where sacrifices will be made will not be built by David. Why not? Because our salvation will come through the high priest, king of kings, the greatest of all prophets, Jesus, who laid down his life, not from a Jesus who stormed into Jerusalem as a military conqueror, a superior Alexander the Great, who laid waste to the Romans. But friends, we would do well to know that kind of Messiah is what they actually wanted. And truth be told, that's the kind of Messiah we often want. Look at the references to David. Verse 1. Now when the king lived in his house. Verse 2. The king said to Nathan the prophet. Verse 3. Nathan said to the king. Verse 4. The same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David. A servant. Can I tell you about your king? Have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus provides the rest we long for. Jesus saves us by means we would not have come up with. Jesus is the true servant without limitations. The greatest work of God done in the world was initiated by Him, for Him. I love verse 18. King David went in and sat before the Lord. Sat before the Lord. 
course corrections. Friends, God wasn't giving David course correction to lead him to something lesser. He was giving him course corrections to lead him to something much better. As I read through this passage this week, I'm not saying in verse 18 that this is the moment it happened, but in light of all that has gone on, it must have been a season, something like this, that David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Would you stand with me and we'll pray together and respond Pray with me. And as we prayed, we set aside these moments. I think they're really important moments in your life to carefully consider what we've seen in Scripture and to give God room in your life if any of the course corrections that we've talked about need to be brought to bear in your life today. Do you have the rest that Jesus promises he can provide. Are you too quick to say, well, if it's my desire, it must be the Lord's? Is that the default setting of your life? Are you willing to confess that every servant of the Lord has limitations? Father, we confess together we need rest that comes from the Lord. We need the help that comes from our great high priest, the King of Kings, the one who fulfilled the law and the prophets, the Lord Jesus Christ. You've brought up our salvation to us in a way that we would not have thought up, we would not have planned, we would not have hoped and looked for. You've you've worked in a way far better than we would have ever done for ourselves. Help us as a church to be shaped by your word, to be led by your spirit. And even now we ask in Jesus' name for you to be at work among us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.